Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylogue team. Hello, and today we are going to talk about Batman v Superman again. Uh, again. Last, yeah, last time we talked about sort of motivation and how that played a part in the sort of reaction to the film uh, and Civil War. We're contrasting with Civil War. This time we're going to go a bit more into the nature of the films uh, now that we've got all that stuff about character motivation and audience reception out of the way. Uh, we'll talk more about the technicalities. So... I think we should start with villains. As we ended okay. on motivation last time and we were talking about Zemo, I think uh, yeah. villains is a good place to go. Okay, so in action, uh, the villain creates the spine of action because what a hero wants to do is stop the villain and save the victim because the villain's always going to do something that's going to cause people to die. That, that's what an action film is, right? The villain is going to do something that's going to cause people to die, and so the hero is trying to stop them. That's essentially every action film, whether it's a shark, whether it's a tornado, whether it's a supervillain, a criminal, whatever, that's the case. Is your book, is your upcoming book, a paragraph long? Yeah, is that it? that's it. Uh, Here's so, every action movie but it's, but it's true. So like Hans Gruber is going to kill a bunch of people to get away with a crime of stealing lots of money. Um, if he wasn't going to kill people, it wouldn't be action, right? It would be probably just a crime story. It'd be about a guy trying to steal a lot of money. The fact that he's trying to kill people is what turns it into action because action is very exciting and it's about life and death. So the villain is a key role in the action story. You can't tell an action story without a villain. Um, even if the villain is the hero, even if the villain is a shark, even if the villain is a tornado, I call it the villain because that gives it purpose rather than saying the antagonist, which is very dry. And I know we touched upon this in part one, yes. um, but just to recap, how does how therefore does the uh, action villain slot into a collision plot? Yeah, so the collision plot is when two heroes fight, and so you still need a villain. And so the, because the villains uh, is what's causing the hero to do anything at all. So there's two real ways you can do this. Either the villain is manipulating the heroes into fighting each other, uh, in some way, he's causing them to fight, which is the case for, say, Troy. Agamemnon is the reason the war starts, and that's why Hector and Achilles fight. Or the heroes are also villains, which is the case for Looper, where Bruce Willis is heroic at the beginning. Joseph Gordon Lovett is quite villainous at the beginning, but over the course of the story, they shift, and uh, Joseph Gordon Lovett ends up being very heroic, and Bruce Willis ends up being very villainous. Um, so there's no external villain between them causing them to fight. It's those two characters. Um, so those are the two options you have. I mean, you could also, I guess, mix those two things. But the, the villain has to somehow play a part either as sure. external or one of the heroes. So uh, that's what you need in the collision plot. Batman v Superman and Civil War are collision plots. They're about two heroes fighting. Uh, or in the case of Civil War, more heroes than two. But they're essentially two heroes fighting. And so what does the villain do? And in Batman v Superman, Lex is manipulating Batman and Superman, but Batman and Superman both contain aspects of the villain. Batman is villainous in some ways. I mean, he's absolutely wanting to kill Superman. Superman is villainous as well. He's willing to kill um, uh, for their own sakes. 
That's what I mean. That's what makes them villainous. It's not that they're just willing to kill us, kill for their own sakes. Uh, what they're trying to do, um, and uh, Superman less so than Batman. Yeah, and Lex is behind it, pushing things, and then of course he creates Doomsday, and Doomsday is the big villain uh, in that sense, he's pure villain for the big fight at the end. And um, Lex is brilliant. Uh, Lex is really uh, intelligent. He's got a lot of political power. He's very smart. And he engineers the situation very well. Um, he 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 lets Batman find out about the kryptonite. Because uh, he wants Batman to steal the kryptonite. I mean, he offers Bat- he offers sort of Batman, you know, hey, why don't you come to Lex Labs? But he knows Batman isn't going to work with him complicitly. But he does... He does let Batman um, know about the white Portuguese and all those elements. So he knows about the kryptonite because he wants Batman to come to the conclusion himself and uh, steal the kryptonite, turn it into a weapon and kill Superman. So that's his plan, Lex, in that sense. He wants Batman to do those things. So he's he's sort of, he manipulates Batman effectively. And then he manipulates Superman by constantly turning every good deed he tries to do into ash by ruining things, killing people, blowing things up. And so he's constantly playing them against... Uh, he's constantly sort of pushing them towards finding each other. And uh, he does it with great skill and intelligence. And then, of course, at the end, he just tells Superman, it's like, you know, this is what I've been doing, and now you're going to go do it because he's Lex. And the whole point of Lex is Lex is all about power. Lex is basically... I mean, it's brilliant that Kevin Spacey played Lex Luthor at one point because he's essentially Frank Underwood from Mountain Cards, <laughs> right? Like, it's all about power for him. And so there's no way he can allow Superman to be defeated without him knowing that Lex beat him. Because the whole thing about Lex and Superman is, you may have all these powers, I don't, but I'm better than you. I'm going to beat you without any of the powers because I'm that much smarter than you. So Lex's arrogance is key. And so he's um, it's great. And so uh, he's motivated brilliantly. but uh, And uh, he comes out... He's, really well designed he has enormous power over Batman and Superman political power tactical power he's very intelligent and then he creates Doomsday which is even a physical threat for Superman so why do you think he was because uh, he's another aspect of the movie that was hated by the fans only because Jesse Eisenberg right they didn't want they don't like Jesse Eisenberg they thought right. how can Mark Zuckerberg be Lex Luthor and I'm like that's actually quite brilliant uh, <laughs> that that's really quite cool um, and Jesse Eisenberg did a really great job right yeah he was really good uh, I thought so okay so conversely <laughs> then uh, Zemo uh, also played by a very good actor uh, Daniel Bruhl I think his name is a very good actor he was in Rush and Inglorious Bastards very good um, and he's well written I actually quite like how he's written he's badly designed Zemo has no power. Uh, his power is totally ephemeral. It's only if people don't know he's Zemo that he has any power. He doesn't pull any strings, really at all. He's not a manipulator. Um, he he just, I mean, he, he mind controls um, Bucky. Um other character and it's not, and he frames him in a rather poor way I mean Captain America never believes Bucky was responsible and Iron Man doesn't have any real reason to go with it he just does um, but uh, the major problem as well with him is his, his plan makes no sense because um, 
the reason they have the Geneva Convention, which he uses to have Bucky, which he frames Bucky for blowing up, the only reason that exists is because of the fight in Laos. And um, Crossbones accidentally blows up that thing. There's no way he could have planned for that. They tried to make a thing that Crossbones bought technology, I think. He, like, he bought bombs and stuff, and like maybe Zemo sold it to him. But Zemo couldn't have sold it to him, really, uh, because Zemo doesn't have those resources. So it's not very clear on if there's a link between Crossbones and Zemo. But even if there is, the link... Like you, he couldn't plan that that would all then happen, and the Sokovia Accords would happen. He can't plan for these things, and so there's this whole bizarre thing of the Sokovia Accords, which are used to kind of frame Bucky. But Zemo couldn't have known this, and it, so it just doesn't really work. And that's that's just the logic side of it. Power side of it. What power does he have? He has no power over Captain America. He has no power over Iron Man. They could either one of them could just kill him without a second thought. He has. No political power at all. He's just really weak as a villain. And this, as I pointed out in the last one, the motivation, the characters aren't motivated enough. Part of the reason is because the villain isn't motivating them. The villain, is like, it turns out even he's not even trying to do anything. Who's he trying to kill? Who's he trying to hurt? What's his plan? His plan is to go to Siberia and kill other versions of Bucky that are worse than Bucky. Like, he's not trying to kill anyone. There's, he's not trying to do anything bad. His his thing is, I'm going to kill evil Soviet spies, and then I kind of want Captain America and Iron Man to kill each other. That's his thing. And it's like, but they're not victims. They're not... You know what I mean? It's all confused. Yeah. It just doesn't... It's it. The problem is, it's not that it's like, oh, it's too complicated or anything. It's, like, it's, no, it's, it's just badly designed. It's like, Zemo has to generate the spine of action. The villain has to generate the spine of action. By creating danger. He doesn't create danger any time in the film. Really. And he's not... They don't even know about him for most of the film. When they do... You know, when you thought... There was a point where you think Z, they make it look seem like Zemo is going to Siberia to get those winter soldiers, those evil winter soldiers, and use them as an army to kill... Mm. And you go, that's actually quite... I remember when that happened, like, oh, that's actually quite interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what's going to happen. And they went, actually, no, he's not, he doesn't want to do that. He, he doesn't want to do anything. He just wants to kill them and then kill himself. And I'm like, that's... It's not an action story. That's something else. That's not an action story. That's not exciting. That's... It could be quite interesting. It could be quite dramatic. It could be a good, interesting crime story. It's not, not an action story. This isn't a Captain America, Iron Man fight movie. It's not a plot for that. And so the villain um, just doesn't work. Uh, but Lex did really well. Um, okay. Character then. Mm. I guess character's the next one to, to knock off the list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long list. Is it? Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, in terms of character design, um, in uh, Captain America Civil War... Spider-Man's great. Ant-Man's great. Right? They're loads of fun. Unfortunately, they steal every scene they're in. Don't they? Yeah. And the reason they steal those scenes is because they are the most dimensional characters in the cast. Uh, And that's a real problem. And that's including 
Captain America. Captain America. And Iron Man. And Captain America has no dimensions. There's not a single contradictory trait in that character. He has, he's, he's a zero-dimensional character. What does he have? He's a soldier. Ish. <laughs> um, he's he's a soldier who plays by his own rules. Like that's not. He's not really a soldier. He's not in the army. He has no dimensions. Iron Man has no dimensions in the film. Do you not have dimensions either? No, not in the film. He has in other films, but not in Civil War. What's his dimension? What contradicts in his character? The way you can tell a character has no dimensions, by the way, is they play every scene, no matter who's in it, the same way. And every scene they are... It doesn't matter who they're acting with. They literally have the exact same reactions to everything all the time. Captain America lectures everybody. And Iron Man lectures everybody. And they're played by very wonderful actors, so you don't notice so much because they give hints and shades and subtext. Yeah. But fundamentally, these characters, every scene, they are the same, exact same thing, like a static portrait and it goes they have no dimension do you think do you think uh, lecturing is the stand is the default setting for a character that has no dimensions no <laughs> no uh i would think it would depend more on uh, the uh, it would depend more on the nature of the story i mean like a detective who has no dimensions um every scene he's in he just um uh, it depends on the character I mean, dimension isn't the only trait of a character. Characters have traits and desires, right? Yeah, sure. So, um, but they just don't have dimensions. Without dimensions, they're not interesting. They're not emotionally interesting. Um, but okay, getting back to, um, yeah. to Spider-Man and Ant-Man then. They so, have dimensions. Yeah, so Spider-Man? Spider-Man's dimensions are, on the one hand, he is a kid. On the other hand, he's a hero. Um, the other dimension... He, I think he has another dimension as well. Um what was the other dimension? Oh yeah, he's brave and he's scared. I think that's it, right? I don't know if he has another one. Um, you got me thinking about Spider-Man. Actually, um, I, I, I guess I, my um, my first reaction was: Is the the kid and hero dimension of Sp- Spider-Man is that built in? Of course, the the simple answer is no. You have to dramatize that. And yeah. In fact, it, they could have ruined Spider-Man. You could if they, could have done it. If really they'd bad. taken out all the Peter Parker scenes. Yeah. That would have made it, uh, and removed like the Empire Strikes Back reference and stuff. Like, yeah, that would have been. He would not have had the kid dimension, even though technically he's sixteen. Yeah, it's not fact. But the fact that what makes him a kid uh, in this story is the fact that he's worried about his aunt. Uh, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's really sort of like yes sir, no sir. Yeah, uh, he's out of his depth. All those things. So he's a rookie. That makes him interesting. Um, that dimension. The other character, Ant-Man, his dimension is that he's a hero and he's a criminal. And they play up the fact that he's a criminal in the film. Yeah. So that's what makes him interesting at all. The rest of the cast, they don't have dimensions. And there's nothing actually necessarily terribly wrong with having characters that are only... Like, Ghost Protocol, right? Mission Possible Ghost Protocol, the four main characters each have only one dimension. Ethan Hunt has one dimension. Paula Patton has one dimension. It's all the same dimension as well, isn't it? It's the played variations. Out, played out differently. Yeah, yeah, variations of the same dimension. There are liabilities and professionals. Um, but they're different liabilities and they're different. Uh, their, their expertise yeah. is different. But yeah, they, they will have that 
one dimension. That's totally fine, because as a group, they have sort of four dimensions. Guardians of the Galaxy, the five characters each only have one, uh, two dimensions. And again, the same sort of two dimensions. Um, but in Civil War, Spidey has one or two dimensions, um, and Ant-Man has one dimension, and none of the cast... Uh, Vision has a dimension. He's a human and he's a robot. That's interesting. Because human in the sense that he has humanity and yeah. he's a robot. That's actually interesting. Um, but none of the other characters... I'd, you know, I'd not thought about Vision and... Um, yeah. And I, uh, but I, uh, outside of the fact that I knew he was more interesting in this movie than yeah he was when right he turned up in the first, in Age of Ultron oh yeah he was much um, better in this yeah <laughs> but actually yeah you've just you've just yeah. hit it on he the has head. A dimension. that's exactly why he's more yeah. interesting of course he's got a dimension uh, so he's got a dimension um, Spidey has one Ant Man has one Captain America doesn't have any uh, he has had dimensions. Uh, in the first film, he had a dimension. On the one hand, he was a wimp, and on the other hand, he was a super soldier. Yeah. Right? That's a dimension. There's a contradiction in the character. Um, he's um, and when I say super soldier, I don't mean just after the serum. I mean in the sense that he had the heart of a soldier as well. Yeah. Um, the um, Iron Man has had dimensions. He's he's a, he's, a, he's such an arrogant, horrible person, but he's also a hero. Yeah. Right. So they they've had dimensions in this film. They don't. Uh, and Superman, for example, has no dimensions in Man of Steel. Superman's dimension is Clark Kent and Superman, right? They didn't put Clark Kent in Man of Steel. He had no dimensions, which is why there's such a huge empathy problem with Man of Steel, because you just don't have any empathy for the character. Yeah. You can't be interested in him. The way way I, I, I describe it is empathy is what you, you know, sorry, uh, the center of good is what you empathize with, Right. But dimensions tell you how much you can empathize with the character. So the more dimensional a character is, the greater the well of interest can be. So in some stories, short stories, action stories, what have you, you don't need many dimensions because you're not going to get that deep into the character. So John McClane in Die Hard is two dimensions. Batman in The Dark Knight is two dimensions, right? Two dimensions. Kind of all you need for an action story. But if you're doing... Uh, something like The Sopranos, where you have one character for six years, you need 12 dimensions because you just need to have that level of depth. Um, and so it's sort of genre dependent how dimensional the character is because dimension reflects internal conflict and things. But the problem is you need one. <laughs> you need at least <laughs> need one, one. <laughs> right? To start... And uh, Captain America doesn't have any. Iron Man doesn't have any. And it's a huge problem because that's why... I mean, if you look at the airport scene, why is the airport scene really the only scene in the film? Because of Spider-Man and Ant-Man. Not because of Captain America and Iron Man. Oh, I see. Right, it's from the... It's, it, those two yeah, characters yeah, right. generate right. nothing. Um, and so, dimensionally, these characters are a huge problem. Uh, whereas Batman v Superman, not so. Batman has dimensions. Superman has a dimension. They gave him one. Um, he's Clark Kent and he's Superman. They gave it to him. Clark Kent back in they the put movie. Clark Kent back in. He actually has a dimension. On the one hand, he's this sort of reporter who is very, very morally righteous in the yeah. film, right? He's he's not mild-mannered. He's really morally righteous. Like, we have to talk... We have to complain about... Like, I loved how... Like, he's going, I try and save people and everyone complains. Batman beats people up and breaks their backs and kills them and everyone's like yeah cool whatever like why is he the guy that everyone likes um, you know I love that bit of 
uh, writing. Um, but Clark Kent is really morally righteous. Superman is really morally conflicted. Right? So Clark Kent has no power but moral authority, moral righteousness. Superman has very little moral authority, but lots of the power to do the right thing. So he has a contradiction. He has a dimension. Batman has a dimension. On the one hand, he's heroic. On the other hand, he's villainous. He's like a murderer. Yeah. Right? He's, he's, he's planning to kill Superman. Like, he's, there's no thing about that. Like, he's, he's sort of saying, like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. And he enjoys it. He actually enjoys the fight. He la- he smiles all the way through the fight. You know, here I am, and he's smiling and all that stuff. He he enjoys uh, trying to kill Superman. So he's heroic, he's villainous, but he's also Bruce Wayne, and he's Batman, and you know, and um, so he's got two dimensions, uh, and that's enough. That's all they need for the film. I mean, Superman, I think probably could have handled one more dimension. Batman. Um, uh, I mean, I have to watch the film again to be certain what, uh, how the Bruce Wayne Batman thing plays out, uh, if I remember correctly, because um, Bruce Wayne is haunted. He's not really the playboy. No. Uh, he's much more of this sort of tough, like, you know, we have a problem with freaks dressed like clowns. He's kind of like um, more serious. And Batman is, uh, as Batman, he's kind of like... Um, uh, really sort of like um, paranoid and scared so like Bruce Wayne he's actually kind of more brave in a way it's weird but I I can't remember off the top of my head but the point is like I think he has two dimensions I think if I were to sit down with a film I could probably iron them out a bit clearer Superman has one he could probably have done with a second one because the weakness in Batman v Superman really is Superman. He's just not emotionally interesting enough. It's kind of a problem. Yeah. But, I mean, if I were to I say... Mean, it's better than Man of Steel, but... Better than Man of Steel, but... And it's not bad, but it's still a failing. Yeah. Um, but they have dimensions enough to carry them for the film. Um, whereas Civil War, they don't have dimensions. They just don't do it. And it's a real problem because as fun as it is to watch Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans, they're great fun. And these they play these characters really well. It's not like they're terrible to it. They're, you know, they're more fun than Henry Cavill was in Man of Steel. Yeah. They're a lot more enjoyable. But fundamentally, what uh, the reason you kind of don't notice in Civil War is unlike Man of Steel, there's 12 of them. Yeah. <laughs> Man of Steel, it's just Henry Cavill on his own. If they had done Civil War and they had t- stripped out virtually everyone apart from Bucky and Zemo and Falcon, say, so just that that was the cast. Yeah. They got rid of everyone else. You would notice in a heartbeat Captain America is paper thin. Paper thin. Like, it's a real problem. Captain, In fact, I've noticed this is a problem with all the Captain America films. They haven't dimensionalized him effectively. He always has to be surrounded with a huge cast of, of heroes. All the Captain America films he's surrounded by cast Scarlet. They always have been the ones with the most guest stars, Black Widow and yeah, all those things. And he's always been in the Avengers. And I think it's because fundamentally Captain America, they don't know how to do him. Uh, he's just two dimensionless. Uh, two dimensionless, not two dimensions. Two dimensionless. Yeah. Um, he's just he's lacking it. And Iron Man uh, has been lots of fun in uh, Iron Man and Iron Man 3 particularly but Civil War he's just empty he's a shell of the character that he was which is a shame yeah 
Yeah, no, it's a, it's a shame. Uh, yeah. Especially when, uh, particularly with Iron Man, and especially because of Iron Man three, yeah. that being one of the one of the two best Marvel movies. Yeah, yeah. As I said, like uh, we've had what thirteen Marvel films. Yeah, and two of them are good. Two of them, Guardians of the Galaxy and Iron Man three. All the rest are like not just. I, I want to qualify that. I'd say two have been great. Some have yes. been. I mean, uh, lots have been. You know, the, the, good. lots yeah, of them have been Thor- fun, but they're like. Uh, First, They're fun, but uh, first Thor movie. First Thor movie is the fun. only one where I'm like, oh, I, that might that could be number three. <laughs> like I would go two and a half because of the first Thor film. First Iron Man film, they both have similar problems. Iron Man is really fun until Jeff Bridges gets in the suit, and you're like, this isn't. This makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, Thor is fun until you kind of go, what was the point of this film? <laughs> Um, like, where where was this going? Like, how does this work? Like, there's just something about that ending that's just like, I don't really get what the point of any of this was. Um, and it's really funny, Thor, as well, which is a shame. The big, I think the big problem is the destroyer fight. Like, um, they can't segue from him being on Earth with no powers to him being on Asgard fighting Loki. They're actually both fine, but like, how did you get from one to the other? And that's why you go like, ha 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 ha, wait. Why are we on the Rainbow Bridge fighting? It's like, how did how did he be, be defeat the Destroyer? It's like, I kind of just went, maybe I shouldn't be such a jerk anymore. Like, was that the whole... Was that it? Like, is that your film? Really? Um, so, I, yeah, I thought... Thor and Iron Man put your hands together. Then we've got three films. Uh, they're close. But the I other- was struggling with the bad-mouthing Thor, but not for... That's me and my extrinsic reasons. I, 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 I'm telling you, Thor, uh, I, I, every time I, when I think, I say, how many are there? I'm like, Thor's like, oh. Because <laughs> Iron Man, it's so clear, like that film goes off the rails at the end. But Thor, I'm like, oh, there's nothing about it that I can't put my finger on and go, eh. But at the same time, like, I didn't want to see it a second time. <laughs> and like, I'm, it's just weird. Uh, so... Okay, out of 12 films, there's been two good ones. We'll leave that one up for debate, okay? <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so that that's it. But, um, yeah, it's a shame. Okay. Um, did you want to talk about polarisation? Yeah. So, polarisation. Yeah, you polarise the car so everyone reacts differently to the same event. That's how you know your cast sure. is polarised, right? Um, Example. Go. Okay, well, in Batman v Superman, <laughs> they fight Doomsday. And in the fight with Doomsday, Wonder Woman, Superman, and Batman are all polarized. They all react differently to Doomsday. Superman is like, I am going to punch Doomsday, and I'm going to defeat Doomsday. It's my responsibility to stop Doomsday. I'm going to sacrifice myself to stop Doomsday. Doomsday, Doomsday, I'm going to stop him. Batman, they did a thing which I, as a fan, have been saying to myself for like 15 years, which is, why does Batman fight these guys? These guys can punch Superman into the sun. Batman can't take these guys on. And I'm always saying, they're like, how is Batman fighting Darkseid? This makes no sense to me. So finally, someone went, yeah, yeah. Batman can't be touched by Doomsday. If he gets touched by Doomsday, he's dead, right? And so Batman is scared. <laughs> and Batman, like, I love it. He's just it's sitting there. Of, it's one of the best bits in the it movie. It totally is, right? He's, But, you know, you can tell Ben Affleck. And Jeremy Irons are the best Batman and Alfred we've ever had. No debate about this. And the reason is, 
if the film Batman Superman is so hated, people who hated that film still like the Ben Affleck Batman. That tells you how good that Batman is. Like he's not just oh yeah he's pretty good. Like, no, this is the best Batman we've ever had, <laughs> and this is one of the reasons why I love this. So Doomsday Batman's like hiding out in the back, thinking I've got one shot with this Kryptonite gun. I've got to make it count. Uh, and like his plan was to get the kryptonite spear and deal with doomsday himself right and that didn't work <laughs> and he's like uh, I'm dead now and then Wonder Woman saves him he's like I've got one shot with this then we've got to get the spear so like, I've been busy I can't get the spear and it's like, it, it, like he's just going like okay 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 this is tough I've got to be really really careful and then doomsday after beating Wonder Woman and Superman turns and sees Batman Batman's like <gasps> and just j- just runs just like you know back grappling hook is away and dodges and throws smoke and hides and you're like this is brilliant like he can't he like and what's great about it is like Superman would never do this right this is Batman we get to see Batman being Batman in a fight it's polarized Wonder Woman is different too Wonder Woman enjoys it She's liking the challenge, you know? Which She's, is great to see yeah. as well next to Yeah. Next to Superman. Because yeah. they are both these incredible these characters yeah. effectively can't be hurt. Yeah, they both yeah. got very similar power sets, so yeah. separating them was really cool. And like Batman's like, this is really serious, and one was like, This is kind of fun. Yeah. And Batman's like, I'm going to die. <laughs> right. Like this is this is like I'm so out of my depth here, but I haven't got another option, you know, I've got I've got to be here. And so they're really great and really polarized. Civil War, uh, not really. They're not really that polarized. There's some nice touches. Yeah, again, back to the airport scene. I guess it's nice, but there's nothing really there. They're kind of interchangeable uh, a lot of the time. Um, Ant Man and Spider Man stand out. There, this is this the scene I'm thinking about. Yeah, so it's so in the in the airport scene, you've got Ant Man who uh, eventually kind of enjoys himself. Yeah. Um, yeah, he has fun with it. Yeah. yeah, when he becomes giant man. <laughs> yeah. like, oh man, that's actually brilliant. Yeah, uh, Spidey is fun because he's out of his depth and he's yeah. just kind of doing what he's told. Hawkeye uh, and Black Widow are kind of like, well, what else are we gonna do? We're kind of drawn into this just because yeah. it is. Scarlet Witch is kind of just again. I'm doing this because I have to. Vision, yeah, this is the side we're on. They have a little moment. Those two characters. Yeah. Um, War Machine, Iron Man, Bucky. I mean, Bucky and Black Panther are completely interchangeable in terms of how they react. They're just fighting. Um, they're really... I, I mean, the, the way they're polarised is in what powers they use. They have different powers. Yeah. And they're polarised in the nature that the actors do little differences between them so like Danny Jr. is very funny um, Tom Holland's funny whatever right that the actors help do that but what I'm saying is in terms of actually how they're written they're not polarized not really um, the writing doesn't polarize them and that I think fundamentally means that there isn't a foundation for which the actors and the story can do interesting stuff and I think it would have been a lot cooler one of the problems is the cast is so big. Uh, so how, how how are you going to get all those characters to look differently at the same situation? Well, to do that, you have to 
motivate them. <laughs> so that's motivation. You know, yeah. and it's like they're not they're not really motivated effectively, blah blah blah. So it's it's a problem. Uh it's not terrible because the actors do fill in those holes. But the problem is like those holes are because the cast is great. Yeah, the cast is um, really great. Just going back a couple of steps, I, I didn't want to gloss over it just in case it was important. Yeah. Um you said that uh, in this movie in Civil War, they kind of polarise them. Um, like they use their powers to do so. Yeah. Um, do you think that's something that... It just got me thinking about the other 12 movies or the other 11 Marvel movies. Like, mm. Is that a problem in, in all the big cast movies? Is that or the Avengers. They... Yeah, for example. Uh, a little. I mean, not so much um, because uh, generally... Um... Like in Avengers, uh, they're polarized in the sense that, um, like Hulk reacts very differently. Uh, but even I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy is the one where they really polarize the cast. Yeah. Um, but the others, yeah, they they rely a lot more on the performances and on the um, and this the power sets to polarize the cast. And the the car the cast otherwise kind of moves in a unison way. And that wouldn't be such a problem if they didn't spend so much time trying to create infighting between the characters. And the the thing is, like, if the characters are dimensionalized and they are motivated, they will naturally be polarized. That's just something that will probably yeah. happen. If if everything else is different, that will happen, right? Because you go in character. What would this character do? Well, he would do something different to a character with a different set of dimensions sure. and motivations. But because they're kind of not, their dimensions aren't there. All they have is their power set, and fu- fundamentally, like, there's some fun to that. Going, oh yeah, Iron Man shoots laser beams. Captain America has a shield. There's some fun to that. But there isn't enough for a two-hour film, and there certainly isn't enough for like a thirteen-film franchise thing. So um, it's a problem. Because one one of my big problems with Civil War, um, other than the stuff we've already discussed, was actually when it came to powers um, and characters fighting against each other. Mm. When you kind of take a step back, you think, well, Vision should be able to cut most of these guys in half you know he's got yeah. an infinity gem in his forehead yeah. and you yeah. find or I found that a lot of the power sets were um, kind of neutered almost like they're, they're, that's true but uh, but that's, yeah, you're right yeah Particularly, particularly when you've got Hawkeye fighting Black Widow, or Black Panther fighting Bucky. I when you said you know these characters yeah. are interchangeable, this isn't what you meant. But um, I, I I kind of felt like the same character was fighting the same character. Because like they, they fight in the same way. You know, they all no. use the same sort of style. Yeah. To um, yeah to hit each other. You know. Yeah, and the the power disparity could work really well if. Um and it does in Batman v Superman, right? Yeah, exactly. Because Batman has no powers, and so there's this huge dynamic shift when he te- when he when he goes to fight Batman Superman. There's a huge shift of imbalance of power that he then turns the tables on, and you go, "Oh, Batman's now one," and then you're like, "How are they going to get out of this now that Batman's towering over him?" And then they go back. So there's a dynamism to it. Yeah, there's turning points. I mean, it's just that it's just so obvious. <laughs> like the more you think about yeah. it, it's like so. How much better, like written, Batman v Superman is compared to Civil War. And it's not that Civil War is bad. I mean, it's it's okay. But like you realize, the good bits of Civil War are good. But then the 
there's all these sort of major structural problems that don't hold up. It's interesting though the the, the two scenes you keep coming back to. Um, uh, you know, if you say what's the best bit of Civil War, people would say, yeah. "Well, that airport scene." Yeah, it is. You know, it's so much better than yeah. the ho- the climax of the movie. Yeah, you know, which is where that's a most problem. of the yeah that's a big problem. Yeah. Um, but then saying that like the fight between Batman and Superman is better than the fight with Doomsday. Yes, true. But not not so drastic. It's not so drastic. No. <laughs> no. Um, but also, I mean, when you when you break down um, why that airport scene is so much better, mm. you realise the reason it is better is because those the the, the bits that are better are just better written. Yeah. Spider Man and, and and also if you think about it, in Civil War, there's how many fights? There's the fight in Laos. There's the fight in Berlin. There's the fight in um, uh, when when Bucky gets mind controlled and he leaves. You know the helicopter scene and all that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the airport scene and then there's the Siberia scene. There's five fights throughout, peppered throughout the film. I don't think I'm missing one. Batman vs Superman has two, and they're yeah. right back to back at the very end of the film. Yeah. So yeah, okay. Doomsday's fight isn't as good as the, the Batman vs Superman fight, but at the same time, there's only two, yeah. and it's the end. Whereas this one, it's like, well, the Civil War one is the airport scene is much, much better than the ones that came before it, and the one that comes after it, it, t- it takes the time to get there, and when it does get there, it's not satisfying. It's a big problem. Um, but anyway, so characters, not great. Okay. Um, okay. Then lastly, set yeah. up some payoffs. Set up some payoffs. So do first payoffs. Yeah. So. Um, these films are both taking place in a mega franchise of films and so there are setups and payoffs inside the film for other films to come and that have come so as we pointed out civil war is marvel film number 13 and frankly i don't know what it sets up or pays off really um that's not true it sets up black panther it sets up spider-man it sets up um, phase four, whatever that will be. No, it sets up Infinity War. Beg your pardon, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Sets up Infinity it's War. It's continuing to set up Infinity yeah, War. Yeah, which, which they've been, been doing there. since Avengers. So, like, you know, two th- so they, they're still setting up. They're doing what I call the soap opera trick or whatever, which is just this thing of like, you constantly set up, you pretend you're going to pay something off, you never do, and you just keep setting things up. And instead of paying something off, you put in a new setup, and people don't notice that you're not paying anything off. And after a while, people get really tired with this, and it crashes, which is what happened to Lost, happened to Galactica. It'll probably happen to Marvel if Infinity War doesn't. If Infinity War does not pay stuff off, I can't see Marvel surviving into Phase 4. I really can't. I can't imagine that being the case. Because people would just be totally sick of it. And they won't have Thor and Captain America. Because those guys aren't going to... So Phase 4, by the way, is the ditching of all these characters. And Phase 4 is, is what's going to happen after Infinity War. Okay. And I have a feeling they might find a way to not pay anything off and still get success by going Infinity War Part 1 is going to set up Infinity War Part 2 and Infinity War Part 2 is going to set up Phase 4 and they won't pay anything off that's possible I really hope it's not uh, but, they, but they've been doing this for ages like Iron Man shows up they set up the Avengers set up the Avengers for 5 films Avengers comes up what is it a set up for? Avengers 2 then they set up Avengers 2 for the next five films. Avengers 2 comes out. What's that a set up for? Civil War. Then they set up Civil War. Then Civil War comes out. What's that a set up for? Infinity War. And it's like, you have to pay something off. What haven't they paid off? Thanos. You've been setting up Thanos. You haven't paid him off. 
There's no payoffs for that. Uh, what does Civil War pay off in terms of the films that came before? It doesn't pay anything off. It could have paid stuff off if, for example, um, Thunderbolt Ross, uh, General Ross, wants the Sokovia Accords because he wants to regulate the Avengers and Iron Man's like, no, he doesn't. All he wants is what's in my head because what's in my head is the extremist formula and the Hulk serum and he wants to make Hulk and super soldiers and all those things and we can't let him have those things and all that stuff, which is what they set up in Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Pay that off. Uh, there's all kinds of payoffs that they could have done that they didn't do. Do you not think the Bucky stuff's done now or is that... Well, the Bucky stuff was done in the second film. Right. What was left of Bucky? Like, they, they, he's wandering alone on his own, and? <laughs> like, I think they really misjudged Bucky. They really... I, I don't understand this in comic. I still don't get it, why people think Bucky's important. <laughs> like, I don't get it! I just don't understand. Like, Seba- the guy who plays him, Sebastian Stan, I think his name is, he's fine. Yeah. But, like, all Bucky is, is, like, he's Cap's friend in the war. And scene. Like, I, this whole Winter Soldier stuff, I'm like, why did Hydra pick Bucky? He's not special. My, why um, don't they pick a character who yeah. is loyal to them? Why would they pick a guy who they have to mind control to be their Winter <laughs> Soldier? It doesn't make any sense. Like, wh- why Bucky? That was the big thing. It's like, when they go, oh, Bucky's the Winter Soldier, I'm like, why? Why Bucky? Why did they pick Bucky? They don't have to pick Bucky. It's Bucky, so that it's a it's a mind twist. It's like, oh, the audience goes, oh, I didn't see it being yeah. Bucky. I'm like, yeah, you did. It was obvious it was Bucky. Who else was it going to be? But why did Hydra pick Bucky? My issue, my, I didn't have that issue with Bucky and the Winter Soldier. I had the issue of who. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, but payoff wise, I can't think of what they did. Um, but it, but Batman v Superman paid off Man of Steel, which was terrible. Which was not good at all. But they managed to somehow make it so you can't watch Man of Steel now without going, oh yeah, Man- Batman v Superman pays this off. Yeah. Like all that destruction at the end of that film, which felt like a bit empty and wasteful, now is like, oh no, this actually is all meaningful and relevant. It yeah. makes man, and also all the stuff they tried to set up with Park Kent and Superman not knowing what the right thing to do and all that stuff is now in Man of Steel. Like they did that crazy thing that is so hard to do that no one respects, which is they took a film uh, that didn't do well and realized they can create a whole bunch of setups out of it that they can then pay off in the next one. And they did that brilliantly. Yeah. So they did loads of great payoffs. And as you forgive Man of Steel, don't you? Yeah. I still think there's huge problems. <laughs> Oh yeah, no. I'm not saying well, it, it. It doesn't make it a good movie. No. Um, it, but like it's, now, it's like I kind of don't mind watching Man of Steel if I'm going to watch Batman v Superman straight afterwards. Right. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> I, I, I'm okay with watching it again. Like yeah. it's okay. I can I can handle it. I I've noticed my enjoyment of Man of Steel has gone up considerably because of Batman v Superman. Yeah. Which is crazy because I still I watch it going yeah that's not great or whatever. Like, but yeah, you know that's oh yeah that's pretty cool. Like they went hey we made a mistake with Man of Steel but we're going to try and retroactively fix some of it and they did that it's like well bravo Um, but they paid stuff off that was in Man of Steel they paid it off like the ships and everything the alien ships that crashed and everything Uh, it was it's born directly out of Man of Steel Um, and as for setups um, they both set up characters in the next story Um, Black Panther Wonder Woman Spider-Man Flash Justice League yeah they set it all up the difference is 
the setups in Batman v Superman are internally con uh, contextualized. They ha they actually pay off inside the story. They don't pay off in Civil War. What I mean is this. Wonder Woman is set up throughout the film and the payoff is she comes to help Batman and Superman fight Doomsday. And the reason she comes to help them is because Batman gives her the files that Lex Luthor had on her without asking for anything in return. So she knows she can trust Batman. Yeah. And so th what happens is there's this turn between um, they set up Wonder Woman and then at the end she trusts him and then that means they're going to go out and find the rest of the Justice League. The other payoff is the Flash payoff, which is that the future, there's this weird guy in the future saying, like, you got, am I too soon? I'm too soon. Like, what's going on? Then at the end you go, oh, it's Flash, that guy. So you go, hold on a minute. They're, they're moving towards that future, but Superman's dead. This is okay. So <clears throat> there's like a, there's a setup there, but it pays itself off. And it, like that, that dream sequence, if you took out the Flash sequence at the end, that dream sequence is really weird. It makes no sense at all. Yeah. But by putting that thing at the end, you go, oh, there's a payoff to this, right? Uh, it's not I, a huge payoff. I'm not sure that is as clear as you it's necessarily not. think it is. It's not. In fact... Because I'm not sort of... No. I'm not on top of the DC I, Universe at all. And so I didn't know that was Flash. I would go one step further and say one of the problems is they show Aquaman and Cyborg, which they really don't need to show. And it can mud muddies it. It muddies it, yeah. Uh, if they just shown the Flash and spent a bit more effort with the Flash, then that would make sense. Then the would... people would go, "Oh, it's that guy," and yeah. they kind of muddied that by throwing Aquaman and Cyborg in, particularly Cyborg, whose whose video is way too long. Like that Cyborg video is far too long, and it's just like, what was the point in that? So they, you know, as I say, it's not perfect, Batman. They messed yeah. that up. But what the mess up is not in the nature of they put the Easter eggs in, but necessarily how long the focus of them is wrong. Sure. Uh, Black Panther, on the other hand, Black Panther's pretty cool, uh, but he's a setup. Like, oh, there's going to be a Black Panther film. And the payoff to him is... He's what? not even at the climax. Yeah. If you remember, he shows up in Siberia, but doesn't get involved. Yeah. He just stops Zemo from killing himself. And I'm like, I thought the whole point was... At the end, Black Panther's going to be in that fight too, uh, trying to get Bucky. Yeah. And so you have Iron Man and Black Panther versus Cap and Bucky. Would them um, Spidey's kind of a clearer example of this payoff versus not yeah. payoff because Spidey is so clearly yes. a here. Look, we've got Spidey back in the Marvel movies. Yes. He's going to get his own movie. Yes. So there's no payoff. There's no sense of closure no. when you pitch that next to. The Wonder Woman thing. Right, do you see the difference? There's a sense of closure. Right. But you've got more to look forward to, but you don't yes. feel empty. You don't feel like you're just being teased. Exactly. There's a turning point yes. related to it. There's no turn in the Spider-Man element. The no. turn in the Spider-Man element is he helps fight Captain America or whatever, but like he doesn't need to be there for any of this stuff. No. It's great that he is, but it doesn't turn anything. There's no turn in his relationship with Tony. Um, or anything like that. Another setup, for example, is the Vision Scarlet Witch romance. Doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, at all. Uh, the Black Widow Hawkeye friendship doesn't go anywhere. Um, I'm trying to think of others. Oh, a War Machine. Right? War Machine gets crippled, except actually he's walking at the end of the film. So. There's no real payoff. Yeah. To anything. They set things up, they don't pay them off, and then they instead of paying them off, they tell they give you a new setup. 
that draws your attention away from the fact that they didn't pay off the old one. And I think, I personally think that's really, really bad writing. It's it's a personal pet peeve of mine. Uh, I may because the only because the only way out is to get found out. Yeah. Which is what happened with Lost and Galactica. Galactica. And all these other kinds of shows. And uh, Game of Thrones. It's going to happen to Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, you are going to alienate a lot of listeners. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> uh, everyone knows that. But it's true. Like, I, 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 I have this big problem with writers who promise audiences X and then don't give them X. Because the reason it annoys me so much is like... You're the one who made the promise. Yeah, it's not an issue if you don't promise. Yeah, like I don't mind like Columbo doesn't have any big payoff, you know, or Poirot or whatever. It's like that's okay, but they don't pretend to have big payoffs, you know. Yeah. Um, Heroes, I'm more forgiving of Heroes. Heroes was like we have this big payoff plan. It's like they clearly had it planned. Then they got cold feet and they got worried about ratings and they gave up on their plan and they. They tried to wing it with other things, and I'm like, you guys have lost it. But I kind of forgave them because at least they were trying. Yeah. But when I'm watching Lost, and they're like, yeah, we'll just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. I'm like, I'm not here for your experiment. If you're going to tell me there's a mystery and that you have the answer to it, have the answer to it. Fringe was another one, jeez. Um, but it's just like, I can't stand it. So I'm watching these Marvel films. On the one hand, I'm like, I love the cast. Love the acting. The writing is good for most of the time. It's nicely done. There's fun to it. Like, Civil War is fun. Batman v Superman, it may be a lot of things. It's not fun. Okay? (laughs) It's not fun. It's exciting. It's tense. It's gripping. It's not fun. Civil War, fun. Just fun, 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 fun. I never told anyone, don't go see Civil War. It's rubbish. I was like, the airport scene is worth the price of admission. And it is. Yes. Like, it's really fun, that airport scene. Despite all the problems. But what annoys me is I'm like... I came out of that film and I'm like, I, I'm thinking of four different ways to rewrite the film that would have payoffs to films that came before it and this own film and still set up the next one. And I'm like, you're not doing what you're promising. You're promising a, a fight between Iron Man and, and Captain America. You're not giving us the fight. You're promising us a payoff to all these other films that came out. You're not paying them off. And it's just like, you have to do this stuff. You can't just keep doing this and it just it really upsets me but they're doing very well so what do they care what and they most care? of the movies are fun so what do we care yeah I guess I mean uh, sorry uh, I, I should clarify uh, uh, qualify that as well from an audience point of view what do we care from a writer's point of view can yeah, we see yeah, yeah. From, yeah and uh, exactly. so like but... what what do we learn from all this what is was my next question yeah right as writers and I'm like look my feeling is you have to motivate your characters properly. You have to polarize your cast. It doesn't matter. Like this whole concept of plot driven versus character driven is just nonsense. And these action stories and things like that, you need to really, it doesn't matter what kind of story you're writing. I see this like with domestic dramas and things, you know, uh, family shows and things like the characters need to be polarized and to polarize your character, you need to motivate them. And you need to uh, dimensionalize them. And you need to do that individually and uniquely. And the amount at which you do that is dependent on the genre and the type of story you're telling. But you need to do this. You need to... And then those characters will sing and shine. Like, look at something like Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul or Fargo. All the characters are just beautiful. They're all individualized. They're all great. But they're not all 
major characters, the secondary characters. But the, like, Better Call Saul is a show built out of two secondary characters that were so good, <laughs> right, that they can have their own show. Mike and Saul, like, they're so good. And they were secondary characters. They had, like, two or three dimensions each in the show, in Breaking Bad. Jesse had six. Walt had considerably more. You know, like, they had very... They didn't have many dimensions, but they were so lovable that they could generate a whole um, series. They're, they've not just generated their own series. They've generated their own show each. Yeah, inside like Mike, this Mike, Mike and Saul have... Totally different shows. Yeah, Better Call Saul is two different shows, yeah. right? But that, but that's the thing. Like you, you want to, and so I don't, I don't see having twelve characters in Civil War as an excuse for. One of the things I loved about Saturday morning cartoons, like Transformers and Visionaries, the toys all had to have a unique thing for them to sell, because there's no way a parent would buy the same toy twice. Every toy had to be very different, so you catch them all, right? That element meant you had to polarise the cast. They all had to look different and they all had to act differently. And so it's frustrating when I'm watching these things and they haven't stuck to that kind of thinking. Like, look, and it was always very simple, you know? Like, okay, this guy, this Transformer is a sports car, so he's really reckless and all that stuff. And this one is a (laughs) Jeep, and so he's kind of militaristic. And that's it, right? It was really simple stuff. Like, that's okay. Still polarized to some extent. And these characters aren't meant to be, like... They're only supposed to survive a 20-minute episode with a cast of two dozen characters. Like, it's okay. They don't need to be much more... Your little description of those characters just gave me the buzz again. (laughs) (laughs) you know that buzz you get when you're a kid and you're watching the Transformers cartoon or whatever yeah you're just describing those characters I was just transported back that's all it is oh man that's all it is Shipwreck is the sailor in in Action Force right Snake Eyes is the ninja and it's like it's really simple it's really clear they don't need to be more than that because there's like a cast of two dozen and that's so there's like two dozen characters including the villains yeah. it's all those different villains then the fun of these things was like for 20 minutes all we have to do is we have to make sure that like this hero fights this villain and then we switch up which hero is fighting which villain that creates enough repetition for 20 minutes boom we're done that's it and it's like great okay you want to do a two hour film two and a half hours long 13 films it's going to go on forever you've got top level actors Oscar winning actors playing these roles you need a bit more. Yeah. Buckle up and do it. Stop pretending that you... J- just do it. So the thing to learn about this is cast design. It, this is all about cast design, this Batman vs. Superman Civil War thing. The big difference between these two films is cast design. Um, Batman vs. Superman has a polarised, dimensionalised, motivated. motivated cast. Civil War doesn't. And the reason why Civil War has done so well and Batman vs. Superman has been so panned is because while the characters internally are all motivated and everything, fans weren't uh, willing to play the game of uh, that Batman vs. Superman wanted to play. And they were willing to just tolerate uh, Civil War provided that it was just fun enough. And I think that's fine, but uh, I, I can't advocate writing like Civil War. I just can't. I look at it and I just think there's so... And the thing that annoys me most about it is it's so easy to fix. Like, it's just basic stuff that needs fixing. You, I mean, you give... It's just so simple to fix it. It's like, it's it's not... There's so many options to fix it. And it's just frustrating that no one did it. 
Whereas Batman v Superman, if you want to fix Batman v Superman, I think it's actually a lot tougher to fix the bits that aren't working. Like, you have to give Superman another dimension. Yeah. And I don't know what that would be. That would be really tough to do. But it, but if you did that, you would then have to change elements of the story. And I think it'd be a lot more difficult to fix Batman v Superman than it would be to fix Civil War. And I think that's because Batman v Superman is much more complete. Yeah, because it, it, there's enough already in place yeah. for it. Yeah. Sure. Okay. 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 So, uh, that's that. We're done with these two films, and uh, we'll see you next week. Okay. (laughs)